Thank you very much, Jeff. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you here. Thank you for coming out. Uh, are you seminared out yet? <laughs> Not quite. We still have another day, don't we? Well, this is going to be a repeat of one I did first thing this morning. And if you like it and you want some more, we're going to maybe see change it up tomorrow. We've got some things planned. But I'd like, what I'd like to do is have an entire session, just Q&A, right, on general evangelism questions. Uh, and, you, and we'll open it right up. You can ask whatever you want. Those of you who are holding meetings or plan to hold meetings or anything like that, even doing Bible study, if you want to ask questions on advertising, brochures, what I've done the last 20 years, it doesn't matter. How does, what happens during a meeting, problems you've had, you want to ask. That's what I think would be interesting to many of you. And if, if so, we can talk about having that tomorrow in one of our tomorrow sessions. Okay. There's a couple of things I did not get into. Should we close those back doors? Or are some people still coming in? Okay. All right. Well, we'll leave them open then. Some things that I did not get into, but I just want to cover it before we get into the main part of the preaching. And that is when you preach, of course, you're going to preach some sermons. And often when people are starting to preach, they'll say, well, <clears throat> should I write my own sermons or what should I do? How can I get some sermons? Right? And I heard Mark Finley say one time, don't try to reinvent the wheel when it comes to sermons. Start with something that is proven and effective and then make it your own. You can use your own stories, your own illustrations, your own life experiences, and eventually what was once heard through another person's mouth becomes yours because you've made it your own. You've tailor-made it to your circumstance in your life. And I've had a lot of people, they'll say, well, I want to write my own. I'm going to write it just on grace, right? I'm going to do a whole series just surrounded by grace. And it sounds so good, but when they get to it and they they don't give something that is interesting and different than what people have heard in their own churches. Our guests that have come pretty soon, they fall off. I've had pastors tell me, I'm just going to preach on the cross. I'm going to do a whole evangelistic series just based on the cross. It sounds wonderful, right? But the first night they have 70 guests. The next night they have 30 guests. The next night they have 10 guests. And then they're shutting it down about the fourth or fifth night because they have no guests. And the problem was not that they didn't preach well or even have a good topic, but the problem was it wasn't different enough from what people heard in their own churches for them to come out to a strange place, listen to a strange person, and, and in a Seventh Avenue church probably, and they say, you know what, I, my pastor preaches on grace and my pastor preaches on salvation and on the cross. It's no different. So our messages have to have bait on the hook. You have to hook the people in a sense, you understand what I'm saying, in order for them to stay, because most of them, let's face it, are not planning to stay for four weeks, right? When they get our brochure in the mail, do you think they're really saying, oh, I'm going to come out to a four-week seminar? No, they're probably saying, I'm going to come out to two or three nights seminar. And then when they come out after two and three nights, they say, well, you know what, it's a lot longer than I thought, but I'm going to be in it for the long haul. And that's why we get a drop-off often, because there's only so many people that it can come out for four weeks straight. But nevertheless, you've got to hook even those that can have the time to do it. And you do it by being interesting enough, by being dynamic enough, uh, so that they say, you know what, there's something here that I need. And God has called me to know this information. So when you put the sermons together, those first few minutes, you've got to make it interesting. You've got to get their attention and be informative. Otherwise, you're not going to get their, their trust. I would uh, also urge you to be very careful about the quotes you use in our messages. Do you know that sometimes we have used quotes that have been around for not just years, not just decades, but generations, and they're, they're, they're inaccurate? 
quote sometimes about the Catholic Church and about the papacy, and they're not accurate. And uh, wow, that's, you know, that's heavy duty. When you go around saying the Catholic Church says this, and they didn't say it. Now, sometimes they did. Many times they did. But let me give you, you say, well, give us an example. Okay, how about this one? September 1st, 1923, Catholic record. Sunday is our mark of authority. You ever use that one? Right? Sunday is our mark of authority. And uh, the church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. Well, we love that one in evangelism, right? How many times have you heard that, even in, in TV series? That is inaccurate. The first part is not there in the quote. The second part is. The part that says Sunday is our mark of authority is not in the quote. The last part is in the quote. It's legitimate. So what probably happened was sometime in the past, someone had a slide made up and their title was Sunday is our mark of authority. And then the body said the church is above the Bible and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. And then someone along the line joined the title with the body. That's probably what happened. And then it got passed down and passed down and passed down. Pretty soon it got circulated among the pastors and the evangelists and we all used it. I used it until I found out it was inaccurate. So be careful of the quotes you use. Try to do your research and make sure they're accurate. Okay? <clears throat> How many of you have done evangelistic preaching? All right. Okay. Good to see you, Steve. Uh, little things can have a big impact. When when you're doing evangelism, a lot of people have been told, here's some sermons, go out and preach, and uh, do what you can do, a little bit of training perhaps, but not much, and they're saying, okay, you're basically baptized in the evangelist and go do it. In the Bible, there is such a thing as a gift of evangelism, and there's a gift of pastoring. I like to say every pastor has to have some evangelism in them, and every evangelist has to have some pastor in them, because the two do overlap in, in many ways, but there is a gift, and there is there are things that you can do to greatly heighten your results. Okay? Let's talk about what it is. Evangelistic preaching is basically a sermon about the gospel that has an appeal. It is not someone standing up for 30 minutes simply sharing their life experience. We call that what? Testimony. That's right. It's not someone standing in the pulpit and sharing some practical illustrations about life. Right? Uh, let us be kind. Let us be courteous. Let us be loving. You know, these kind of things. That's not necessarily an evangelistic sermon at all. It's a good Sabbath school lecture. An evangelistic sermon is not just telling a story. It's not simply just having a conversation with people. You know, someone comes, the pastor comes to church and he says, Hey, you know, on the way to church this morning, I met Mrs. Brown over the fence and we had this talk and I, we went like this. And so he's just basically talking in a conversation. That's not an evangelistic sermon. Evangelistic preaching is not a lecture. There's a place for lectures. It's called a classroom. Amen? Right? Leave the lectures to the classroom. That's not necessarily at all evangelistic preaching. What is it? It's biblical, number one. Now that sounds pretty basic, doesn't it, to say that it's biblical? Do you know what the number one reason people love to come out to evangelistic preaching is, well, to evangelistic meetings, is that they're lonely. Loneliness is the number one reason people come out of their homes. You might surprise you with that, but that's true. And number two is that they're getting messages that they don't get in their own church. And they're getting Bible that they don't get in their own church. A lot of the preaching of today is basically what I call a Reader's Digest type of preaching. You know, humorous stories, anecdotes, illust uh, illustrations, these kind of things. And they're filling up an hour. They might have a text in there when they begin, but basically it went off from all directions after that. And it really wasn't 
biblical preaching per se. And they come to these kind of sermons and you know what they say? And you've heard it. They say, we don't get this kind of preaching in our church. Isn't that right? And even the Adventist members will say, we don't get this kind of preaching normally. That ought not to be, by the way. We as Adventist ministers, we ought to hear if, if our own message preached in our own churches and not just when the evangelist comes to town. Amen? Right? So, Church members will especially appreciate your ministry if they sense that you are a biblical preacher, if you use the Word of God as the basis of what you do. Effective. Do you know Ellen White gives this statement, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. She says, The hearts of many in the world, as well as many church members, are hungering for the bread of life, thirsting for the waters of salvation. They are interested in the service of song, but they're not longing for that. They like singing, but they're not longing for that. Or even prayer. They want to know the scriptures. What saith the word of God to me? Right? That's, he says, that's what people are hungering and thirsting for. So yes, we should preach about the second coming. And we should preach about other things. And not just when the evangelist comes to town. She says, the Bible and the soul were made one for the other. Isn't that a beautiful statement? So the power when you get up to preach is not in the fact that you're going to be entertaining. It's not in the fact that you're going to wow them with your personality or anything like that, or even your pretty PowerPoint slides, but it's going to be in the fact that you brought the Word of God home to their heart. you agree with that? Amen. Right? You're kind of quiet here. Is it after lunch blues or what? Okay. All right. Don't be too quiet for me. Evangelistic preaching is fundamentally biblical. Evangelistic sermon does not lift itself up, but it lifts what up? This the Bible and Jesus, of course. So, let's go on to the next one. I want to make sure we get through all the material here because uh, I've always got way more than I can present. The first question you have to ask yourself is this. Has it come from the Word of God? If you like some joke or you like some story and you said, I'm going to build a sermon around this story, chances are it's not going to be a good evangelistic message. Okay, and that's a good way of probably telling yourself you need to start again. Don't start with a joke. Don't start with a cute story. Start with the Word of God and let it come from that. Points to remember, you've got to impart information they have not received in their own church. I mentioned that already. You've got to do it quickly and effectively. Uh, don't wait five nights before you say something that they can't get in their own church. A lot of times we, we give information as evangelists not because we want to be controversial, but because it's got to be interesting. The reason we have, you know, God has given us the ace card, so to speak, of prophecy. Daniel, Revelation, and uh, you know, going through those beasts and understanding what they mean. When you put those pictures up there, those people who have not seen them, their eyes about bug out and they say, wow, what is all that stuff? And we go through the, the different symbols in Scripture and they love those things. They don't get it in their own church. Oh, by the way, build trust with your audience quickly and effectively. One way I do that and you can do it your own way and your own method. But I start opening night and I get, up, I get introduced and I get up to the pulpit and I say, the Bible is the Word of God. I get, I get it right out there. The Bible is the Word of God. Then I say, do not trust me for what I say. They're not expecting that. They're expecting something much different. Do not trust me for what I say. Because what I say really isn't that important. But what the Word of God says, what our Creator God says, is immensely important. Wouldn't you agree? Right? right away, I've said it's not about me. It's about the Bible. And those people that love the Bible and are, and are really, and even the skeptics, they'll say, okay, okay. He's, he's put himself down and he's told us not to, you know, he's not going to be some kind of Jim Jones guy. 
So I've had a lot of people tell me that they, from that moment on, said they're going to stay and listen. And people say it different ways, and, but same, same basic thing. Don't trust me, trust the Bible. Build into your messages the questions and the answers that are most likely to occur to the listener's mind. How many times have you preached a sermon and someone come up and said, you know, I, was gonna, I came with a bunch of questions tonight, but after, after you preached it, I, you covered it, right? Whether it was the millennium or hellfire or state of the dead, they said, I came with a whole list of questions, but through that presentation, you've answered them all. Now, how is it that you can do that? Well, because when you do it for a period of time, you get to know the things that people are thinking. And you build that into the presentation. If it's the Ten Commandments, well, you know what they say. The law is nailed to the cross. We're not under the law. We're under grace. All those major things that you hear, you build the answers and right into the presentation so that you cover that. Well, if it's the Sabbath, same thing, say to the dead, you get down near the end, you cover the thief on the cross, Second uh, uh, Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You cover those things because they're naturally thinking of it. When, they, when they're sitting there, I like to have a little fun with the audience and I'll say, after giving the main presentation, I say, now I know what some of you are thinking out there. You're thinking about the thief on the cross, aren't you? And right away I'll say, yeah, yeah, I see all of these heads start nodding. I say, I know you were. Let me tell you, we're going to cover that. And some of you are wondering about that statement of Paul's that says, absent from the body, present the Lord. Would you wondering about that too? And many people will nod their head, yeah, yeah, we're wondering about that. I say, we're going to cover that too. Always look like you got, you're under control. Sometimes you don't feel under control. Sometimes you feel pretty like, wow, I, I don't know what to go next. But, but always let them know, no, we got that handled. Never, never look surprised by a question. Never look like you can't handle it. Even if, you can, even if you don't know the answer, say, oh, that's no problem. We'll get an answer for that. I'm not sure about it right now, but I'll get you an answer. And that way they can, they can trust and have confidence that you're, uh, you're going to handle it. Evangelistic preaching is authoritative. Now, what do we mean when we say authoritative? We have to preach confidently. Amen? In other words, if you're going to preach... Get up in front of people and be willing to look them in the eye and say, I've got something to tell you that you need to hear. Right? You have been given the position of being up front. They have come out of their homes to listen and take their valuable time. You better be authoritative or why should they come? Is that true? Why should they even be there? People are often convinced, not because of necessarily the words that you say, but how you say it, how you bring it across. I'm not so interested in techniques or something that's gimmicky or anything like that. I want people, I, you don't have to be flawless, you don't have to be polished, you don't even have to have a degree or anything like that, but you need to be effective by being authoritative. When I was first starting, I was told to preach in this little country church in Oakland, Maryland. You probably never heard of Oakland, Maryland. But anyway, there it was in Oakland, Maryland, and a little tiny white country church on the hill. It was so small that when you walk into the front door, you're walking into the sanctuary. You know that kind of church, right? And it was so small that where, when I got up to preach, the front row was right there. Now, this is my first evangelistic meeting, and I'm nervous anyway, right? And I'm doubly nervous when I'm like, the guy's right there. And, uh, you know, and I'm, so I got my Bible, and, uh, you know, my beast paintings are all around me because there's not much room. And it was very difficult, but by God's grace, I got through it because I said, I'm not going to show my knees knocking every night, even though I felt they were. I said, no, I'm going to preach like I've done this many times. It's difficult. Now, how do you say, well, how do you, how do you get over nervousness? Are any of you nervous when you speak in public? Is that everybody? <laughs> well, anxiety decreases 
in direct proportion to preparation increasing. Right? Anxiety goes down as preparation goes up. Preparation is many things. Preparation is prayer. Preparation is putting your sermons together. Preparation is getting there ahead of time, making sure everything's in place. Preparation is going over your sermon ten times if you need to. Preparation is preaching to the empty hall if you need to. Uh, preparation is many things, but the more you can do it, the more when you walk out you say, I'm ready. Right? And when the, when the greeters and the registers and the church members meet you and they say, Pastor, how's it going? Are you ready tonight? They'll do that. They'll say, yeah, I'm ready to go. Can't wait. Then that puts them at ease. Right? And they say, good. Whew. Good. Our speaker's ready to go. Okay? You need to bring that across. So evangelistic preaching is authoritative. May I go so far as saying evangelistic preaching is dogmatic? What do we mean by that? Dogmatic means it speaks according to a dogma, which is a series of beliefs. It's not being obnoxious, but it's saying that a certain principle is set and it cannot be moved. When you preach the Seventh-day Sabbath, you can't get up there and say, it could well possibly be, and most academics agree, that it just might be such that the Seventh-day is the Sabbath. How many decisions are you going to get out of that? Right? Nothing. You've got to preach as though that's what the Word of God says, and it ain't changing, right? Otherwise, you're not going to convince anybody. You've got to convey to them that you're an authority on the subject. David said that. He said in Psalm 39, 3, My heart was hot within me, and while I was musing or thinking or meditating in silence, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Let the fire burn in you, and then get up. Okay. Did we see that in Jesus' uh, life? Okay. Mark 1, 22. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. When Jesus got up, they said, this man's different. Right? This man doesn't teach like these other guys. This guy has something very authoritative to say. So, okay, it's evangelistic preaching centers on the Word of God. It centers, it has authority to it. When you stand up and preach, preach like the man or the woman that God intended you to be. Without passion, you're going to put people to sleep. If you don't have passion, you shouldn't even be there. Right? I've heard it said in one company billboard, they said, unless you are fired by enthusiasm, you'll be fired with enthusiasm. Okay? That should be in a lot of companies, shouldn't it? Okay. If you have a struggle preaching with authority, pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray yourself hot. Don't get up in the pulpit without a lot of prayer because you'll wish that you hadn't when you get up there. Evangelistic preaching is Christ-centered. There's two traps that evangelists can fall into. One is getting into sensationalistic things, things that really don't necessarily need to get into. Uh, if you start talking about sensational, exciting things, uh, you know, conspiracy theories and Mormons and, and Masons and Illuminatis and all of these things that you know, people sometimes wonder about, and then, and then Christ is missing, right? Is that really an evangelistic sermon? If you say, oh, no, it's okay because I got another sermon on Jesus. Jesus is in every sermon. Amen? Amen. In fact, if you haven't gotten to Jesus, you really haven't preached. So, another one trap we can fall into is storytelling. Now, it's okay to tell a little story. I'm not saying you can't tell a story. What I'm saying is don't make it nothing but storytelling. And don't take a long time telling a story because it can waste a valuable preaching time when you really could have been getting into the Word and let the Word speak to people. There's a place for illustrations. We'll get to that. There's a place for a story to drop it in here and there. But make them short, to the point, and make it add to your, th your thoughts rather than just the fact that you like to tell a story. 
Christ is the center of the message, evangelism, page 185. Preaching Christ is the focus. It's where you need to end up. No matter where you started your sermon, you better end up with Jesus. Because Jesus is where the power is for your appeal. Number four, evangelistic preaching must be practical. What do we mean when we say practical? Well, we live in a, an age of what we call pragmatism. You know what people are doing today? They're not asking what's right or what's wrong. What people are asking today is, what difference does it make for my life? Right? Why should I believe this? You know, uh, how does it affect me? These kind of things. So if you preach about the Sabbath, they're going to say, so what? Okay, the seventh day is the Sabbath. So what? Right? If you're going to preach on the Sabbath, you've got to tell them why the Sabbath makes a difference in our life. If you're going to preach on the state of the dead, they're going to say, so what? Someone's in the grave. So what? Right? You've got to tell them why that makes a difference. If you're going to preach on the millennium, that the church is in heaven during the thousand years, they're going to say, so what? You've got to tell them the mercy of God and what the judgment of God is all about and how during the thousand years it is revealing something wonderful about the character of God. Otherwise, what difference does it make? Right? So, I've heard so many sermons on what day is the Sabbath. We want to tell them why to keep the Sabbath. Amen? Amen. Right? Why to keep the Sabbath. Okay. Effective preaching grows out of sympathetic understanding. It's got to be practical. You've got to tell them why this makes a difference in their life. With that in mind, you can certainly mix up your preaching depending on what crowd you're talking to. Uh, Justin McNeilis last night, you could tell, he gave that message in a very powerful way, but you can tell he knew his audience. He knew he was speaking to a GYC audience. And he did certain things in certain ways because of the audience he was speaking to. Did you notice? Right? Did you notice that? And the way he started, and in some of his movements, some of the things he said, were definitely directed to a younger generation. Most, most specifically, it was, it was done in a very uh, clever way. So, know the people you're talking to. Highly important that a pastor mingle with his people and thus become acquainted with the different phases of human nature. How are you going to know what those people are experiencing, what they need, and what they're going through unless we're mingling with them? What is evangelistic preaching? It has to have an appeal. Okay? You can't have biblical preaching you, without talking about the kingdom of God and inviting people to come into the kingdom. Isn't that true? Right? If, why, why preach if you're not going to appeal for them to come in? So if you preach an evangelistic sermon and you don't have an appeal at the end of it, it's like uh, telling someone all about the wonderful features of a car and going on and on and having them test drive it and then you don't ask them to buy it. Right? What's it all for? We have in our churches what I call programmed non-response. People have gone to church week after week after week, no appeals at the end of the sermons. We just, oh, let's have our closing song now. And people are now, after a period of time, they, sit, they come to Sabbath and the, the sermon comes and they just kind of sit back. Okay, entertain me. What are you going to say this week? Right? right? See if you can keep me awake. But if you give an appeal at the end, it's good, they're going to wake up, right? And they're going to say, woo. Now, they may not come forward that first week, but they're going to go home and they're going to say, this pastor gives appeals. And the next week, they're going to come and they're going to be more prepared to do something when you give an appeal. And pretty soon, that program non-response thing is out the window. That's why in the very first night of an evangelistic meeting, we end it by saying, how many of you, along with me, would like to say, Lord, I want to be ready for your coming. Now, many, this is opening night. You keep it very calm, very soft, opening night. These people don't know you very well and you're getting 
to acquaint with them so you keep it quite easy. Would you like to say along with me, Lord, I want to be ready? Is that your desire tonight? Would you just raise your hand and let me know? You know the angels see those hands and you get them to raise their hand. Very easy to do, right? Second night, I probably would do something similar. Third night, if this is your desire, let's stand together as we have our closing prayer. And they stand, right? Little things but they make a difference in the end. We're getting them over that program non-response that they're used to in their churches. Okay? Any questions so far? You know, we, wa we have program non-response when we watch television for a period of time, don't we? You know, pretty soon you, you, you see a mature thing and there's some violence, but you know, okay, I've seen that before. And then you, all of a sudden it goes to something a little heavier and all of a sudden there's some blood and okay, I've seen that before. And pretty soon people can watch the goriest things. It doesn't bother them anymore, right? Because they've seen it before. Someone had a hand up. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, you mean Christ's message alone bring true success? Oh, okay. Let me just... Uh, that one right there. Okay, let me, let me... I probably have it in my notes. Let me try to find it for you. Okay. Good. That's another thing. If you have a quote, have the source. <laughs> okay. Usually I do. 99% of the time I do. You caught me on that one. Okay, you can't have biblical preaching without inviting people. Yes. On, on the appeal, uh, how do you, how do you, uh, and you can work on, like you say, you, you have the general appeal for everybody. In the beginning. But you, you know you're looking for that, that one or two. Right. Exposing them or making them shine. Right. Now, it varies depending on where in the country I'm preaching. I've learned this, that when I was, when I was started out, you know, I did what a lot of people do. You, you, you copy some other evangelist that went before you that you highly admired, and you thought, well, okay, that's the way you do it, right? That's the way he does it. That's the way I'll do it. And this particular fellow had his night on salvation, night five, right? One, two, three, four, preach on salvation, night five. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do preach on salvation, night five. Well, I did that, but then I came into the south, the deep south, Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, and there I had my seminar was flooded with Baptists. And they're like, after night three, they're like, Pastor, you know, where, where's, where's the invitation? I'm like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, you know, it's like, and like, but, but, you know, because they have one every, every, every sermon, right? Every sermon, you know, come on up and, you know, open the doors of the church and come on, you know, receive, you know, every Sunday, it's kind of like the same sermon, just mixed up a bit. And, and, um, and so I learned that when in the South, I'm not going to wait till night five, right away. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going to have an invitation. In fact, even now, I, I, every night, I want to have something in there about salvation and coming to the cross. And, and I don't care what the topic is. I'm going to, in somewhere, I'm going to make an invitation to give their lives to Christ in that millennial or doctrinal sermon on death or whatever. So in the beginning, though, we didn't invite them to a church Bible study, per se, we, or church service. We invited them to a seminar. So I'm trying to be true to my word and let them relax and just enjoy the seminar for that first week and not go too heavy into, to, so that I make them so uncomfortable that they don't come back, because then what have I gained? So I'm, I'm judging my audience. I want my audience to mature with the messages, as we say, so that as I'm going deeper and deeper, they're going deeper and deeper in their commitments. So finally, when I get to the mark of the beast and the remnant church, they're ready for those messages. But I'm finding that Today, there's a high skeptical level. A lot of people don't have the church background, the Bible background that they once had. They're a lot more 
uh, secular. So I'm coming at it a little more slowly, a little easier, hand raising, stand to your feet. And then I hand out decision cards. I have four main decision cards, one on baptism, one on the Sabbath, well, the mark of the beast, one on the remnant church, and one on, it's an unpardonable sin sermon. It's an appeal sermon. Basically, it's a type of unpardonable sin sermon that I've modified. But, so those are my four main appeals. And on those, I'll appeal a lot more strongly. Right. I mean, I'll, but as I mentioned to an earlier class, the way I organize my messages is I'm appealing all the way through. I don't save it all to the end of the sermon. When I'm preaching, I'm preaching to the intellect and the mind as well as the emotions. And so I'm saying, do you get it? Is that clear? Do you understand? Do you agree? And I'm going down all the way through the night. Yes, I got it. I got it. I'm with you. I'm with you. Then when I get to the appeal, I don't have to go on a long time. I hand out those cards and I'm telling you, you should see it from the front. They get those cards and they're writing it down before I can even, I have to wait till the last cards are handed out, right? So I can go through together. But before those cards are finished handing out, most of the people have finished signing that card. Yeah, I'm going forward. I'm, I'm, ba- I'm being baptized or I'm, I'm keeping the Sabbath or whatever it is because I've been appealing all the way through. That's how it works for me, right? And I'm, and I'm okay if someone decides to do it differently for their personality. But Okay, so resist the temptation to not give an appeal. The devil would love for you to, to not give an appeal. A lot of people get around the nervousness of giving appeals by just not giving them, right? Resist that temptation and give it anyway. And when you give it, give it in a way that you expect them all to respond. Don't say, is there one here tonight? Is there one here tonight that this is going to come forward and, and accept this? It, you appeal as if everyone is going to come, right? And that's, you're going to get a lot, lot more. You say, when I come down near to the front, I want you to come up tonight. Now, we're going to have uh, Heidi come and start singing in a moment. And I'm going to come down and join you here. When I come down, I want you to come up. And you talk to them as if you, you expect everyone to, right? You may not have everyone, but you make it known, I want you to come up. Okay? So, that, so that who you're speaking to, because people want to, they don't want to just be singled out necessarily. The Holy Spirit will do the singling out. They'll speak to the, all the hearts. But you let them know that, no, this is your time to come. Okay, any, any thoughts before we go on to the next point? Evangelistic preaching must be dynamic. Okay, now what do we mean by dynamic? Uh, there are certain different types of dynamics. People will forgive you if you're unorganized to a point. They will not forgive you if you're boring. If you're boring... They say, I'm not coming back, right? Now, sometimes people have a certain wonderful voice. I wish I was gifted that way. I'm not, but I'm kind of like the middle of the road voice, not too high, not too low. But, but some people have a wonderful quality of their voice that they use that. It just, it's just lovely on the ear, right? You can just listen to them all day long. Certain, we have many people like that in our own denomination. I just love listening to them on the radio. But, and, and with their voice, they can keep people interested. Others, they do it through their their movement, you know, they, can, they, they don't stand behind the pulpit, but they're on one side, the other. Now, you don't want to overdo it, but depending on the personality, you don't want to start doing the cage lion approach where you're walking this way, and then you turn around on a given point, and you're walking this way, and then you get to the door, and then you, you know, after a while, that becomes hypnotic, right? And it, be, and it comes across phony to the people. They're going to say, and after a while, it loses its whatever effect it had. 
But no, it's okay to move backwards and forwards, but you've got to be real and sincere. People want two things. They want truth and they want sincerity. Tell me the truth, tell it to me sincerely. If you do those two things, I'll stick around and listen to you. Okay? Now there are others, others, they're, they're dynamic by, let me see if I have it here. Yeah, some by the intonation of their voice, some because they like to move. This is more my approach. I like to use ideas and thoughts. And in fact, I'm probably somewhat of a blend of these, but, but most of all, I want to appeal to their intellect and their reasoning. Ellen White tells us we should do that. And so I'm, I'm putting together the sermon in such a way that I'm leading the mind. Now, if this is true, then what about this text? And let's add some emphasis here, and let's really go into it here. And I'm putting text upon text, line upon line, verse upon verse. I'm building a wall around them that they can't escape from. Right? Till finally they say, I surrender. I surrender. I got it. You got me. You know, no question about it. The Sabbath is true. I thought, coming in here, I, I thought for sure it wasn't, but now I know. It's the, it's the Word of God. And they walk out and they'll say to me something like, uh, that was the clearest presentation I have ever heard in my life on that topic. Now, this is church members, right? And I'll say, well, praise the Lord. And some will say, I've been searching all my life to hear this. I like to use the, the Word of God. Like, isn't it true? Our message is a powerful message. Amen. True? And I like to say, I just want to get out of the way and not mess it up. <laughs> you know? Because it sells itself. If you deliver with what the Bible says, it is sells itself. Right? As long as you make sure that you're not boring when you're doing it. Okay, evangelistic preaching should be contemporary and under the culture where you're speaking. Know what country you're in and use that to your advantage. I'm a Canadian. Don't hold that against me. I have American citizenship too now, which I'm quite proud of, but I also have Canadian citizenship. Any other Canadians here? This one? Okay. Uh, when you go up to Canada and you preach, you better know the Canadian terminology or you will turn them off, right? You go up to Canada and you may, you know, they might look similar, they might act similar in a lot of ways, but in their thinking, it's different. They like, it's a different culture. And it's very close to American culture, but it's a different culture. And Canadians are very proud of their culture. And you need to know that. And you need to use Canadian terminology. Because if you don't, they're going to shut you off <laughs> real quick. I know, because I've been there. We were in real estate, and we'd have Americans come up, and they would teach us how to make money. And they would tell us, they'd put on these professional seminars, you know, and here's how you become a success and all these things. And we would listen very quickly. And when they, when they got out of our comfort zone, we would tune them out and sometimes walk out and say, we don't like this guy. He's not, he's, he doesn't make us comfortable, whatever it is. No, this, is this is my pre-Christian days, okay? But if you get up there and you start talking about your president, they're going to say, president? We don't have a president. We have a prime minister. You start talking about their governors for the various provinces. You know, they're not states, they're provinces, right? You start talking about their, gover uh, their governors, and they're going to say, what? We don't have governors. We have premiers. Thank you. And you start talking about their uh, Congress, and they're going to say, what? <laughs> we don't have a Congress. We have a parliament. That's right. So you've got to use Canadian terminology or they're going to say, stupid Americans. They don't know us. 
They don't relate to us. They don't understand our country. They've never studied us. Right? That's, they may not say it, but they're going to think it. So I'm just telling you, when I go to Indonesia, I want to know, what's the, what is Indonesia all about? What are their imports? What are their exports? What's important to this country? How do they think? I, want, I, I ask the administration, tell me about this country and about the thinking of the people so that you can speak to that culture. Right? Know who the current politicians are in office. You may not be news junkies. <laughs> you may not read newspapers every day, but you need to know the basics if you're going to connect with people, right? If you, start getting, if you get up there and you start talking about President Bush as if he was still in office, they're going to say, where have you been? Right? Where have you been? If you, if you don't know who the Secretary of State is and who the Vice President is and all these things and what's going on in the news today, you know, if, if you're going to be effective, be up on world events. You don't have to know everything, but be up on the basics, right? Read a newspaper, once in a while. Read, you know, get Time Magazine or get some magazine and read what's going on and you'll be more effective in your preaching. Okay, know what's going on in the various parts of the country and out of the country. Evangelistic preaching should be well illustrated. Do you like illustrations? Do you like illustrations? You preach as an evangelist and you can go on and give a few texts and give a few texts and people are kind of... And all of a sudden you say, let me tell you a story and everyone goes... They sit right up. Their heads snap to attention. You know, their eyes get a lot bigger. They snap out of their sleepiness. You know, I've seen that so many times. So many times. So you don't want to go too long before you drop in an illustration, you drop in a story. It's got to be well illustrated. You've got to give things that people can relate to. Uh, the power of a story is going to get through where no discourse will. I, I love the stories of the Bible. Isn't it interesting how Nathan got to King David through a story? Right? Uh, was it Gad? I'm going to think of the prophet. Nathan. Nathan. And so, so he tells him a story. He tells him a story and he draws David into it, right? And David's sitting there listening and listening and listening. And finally at the crucial moment he says, you're the man. You're the man. He didn't even realize it was about him because he drew him in so much. I love doing that when it comes to Canadians. And of course, if I'm going to really, really get a Canadian, I'm going to talk about ice hockey. Right, that's that's what's that. That's what's that. They're thinking ice hockey nine tenths of the time anyway. Right, so if I'm up in Canada, I'm going to talk about ice hockey. I'm going to give ice hockey stories. I'm going to give sports stories, and they're right into it. Right, down here, well, it's divided. Right, I'll give some football stories, some baseball stories, whatever, and of course stories about other things. But uh, anyway, I, I divide it up. But the main thing is you want it to be well illustrated. If if you are really wanting to be effective. Uh, and, and this is away from preaching necessarily, but if you want to relate to people, find out what they do for a living and use, those, use that occupation in your analogies with them. If they are a doctor and you're visiting with them, you say, you think, doctor, 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 Lord, give me an analogy what a doctor would think. And then, you, and then he'll do that. I'm much better on the spot than I am in the classroom of thinking of analogies. But if a guy's a policeman, I'll use a policeman analogy. If a, guy's a, if, a, if a lady is a hairdresser, I'll use a hairdresser analogy. And it's amazing how they say, I get it. If you use their occupation, they say, I get it. I understand what you're saying. Use the bullet approach. What do we mean by that? 
Don't use the shotgun approach when it comes to your preaching and your sermons. Shotgun is you're getting everything in there. You're trying to cover way too much in the, in the sermon. You're covering Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Michael the Archangel, 144,000, the second coming. You've got way too much in there. That's the shotgun approach. It's so ineffective that when they leave, they're going to say, what was that all about? I don't get where he was going. I don't know what I'm supposed to believe out of this. Use the bullet approach in that you've got one thing really that you're concentrating on and you're driving that point home. You're getting text upon text, line upon line, till they come out and they say, I get it. It's true. It's fixed in stone. No question the Bible teaches it. That's going to be far more effective. Okay. Uh, I've actually sat in on a lot of pastors who have used that shotgun approach and just it's amazing how you walk out and your head's kind of spinning and you say, I'm not really sure what that sermon was all about. Okay, drive your point home. Well-organized thoughts and illustrations. If it's somewhat confusing to you, if you're up there and you don't really understand what you're doing or what you're saying, it's going to be 10 times more confusing to your audience. Because you, you, of course, know, uh, you know somewhat of where you're going. Like on the 70-week prophecy, or the 2300-day prophecy, if you are not sure on that message, it's pretty easy to stumble. Right? Even after doing it a while, it's kind of easy, it's easy to, to mess up. So you've got to make sure you can go point to point to point in your mind. You know what those texts are. You know why you're saying it. You know where you're going with the next one. Make sure you've got it in your mind. I like to kneel down and I like to pray my way through my sermon. It just helps me. I, get, I, I, put, it, I put it on my bed and I say, Lord, help me. And, and I think through the message till I know where I'm going. Right? I, can see, I can see clear from beginning to end. And then I'm ready to go up. So keep it in mind. You've want, if you're not entirely clear about it, then don't preach it. it now what about this? This is a little bit of a controversial thing. Someone, sometimes people say, don't write out your sermons. I say, write out your sermons. You've got a computer. You've got cut and paste feature. It's a marvelous thing. You can move things around. You can move paragraphs around, words around. Use it, and you can hone that sermon down. It is amazing. What, what advantages are you? Well, you can stay on time for one thing, Someone who just, you know, has a few notes and gets up there and wings it, they tend to repeat themselves over and over and over. They water down because they use words that are superfluous. And basically, they get off target. And it's, it's just not a powerful message. When you have a manuscript, you don't preach like it's a manuscript. You don't read your sermon, but it's there, and it cuts down your practice time to a minimum. In other words, let's say you were really busy with visitation or something caught your attention, you could not get to your sermon, you can take your manuscript and you can review it in a few short minutes. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, yep, 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 ready to go. It, you don't want to do that all the time, but if you have to, it's there. Whereas if you just got a few notes, you got to rethink the sermon every time. You got you to bring back those thoughts. You got to, and I'm not saying that as a manuscript, the Holy Spirit can't bring you new thoughts. It happens to me all the time, but it's there. And it also helps you to relax, by the way. If you've got a manuscript there in the pulpit, you can relax because you can know if I do stray, I can come back on point. Right? I can come back on point. Any questions on that? Cut it to a minimum. You can hone your thoughts to a razor's edge. Have I said this to you already? Words are like sunlight. When condensed, they burn deeper. Have I said that to you? Words are like sunlight. When condensed, they burn deeper. Don't say in 10 minutes what you can say in one minute. So you've got that manuscript, and then you get home after that, and you say, you know what? I gave that whole paragraph. It wasn't really necessary or at least half of it wasn't, and you cut it out. And this sentence, I, I'm using twice as many words as I need to. Get rid of it. And just start slashing and slashing and slashing till you've got just the powerful part, and then go with that. 
and you'll find that you get a lot better response. Know what not to talk about. Don't over-politicize your messages. You've got basically a country now that's basically 50-50 Democrat and Republican. Isn't that true? Basically 50-50. So that means that you're, it's a good chance that your audience is basically 50-50, depending on where you are. So why should you say something that you know you're going to lose half your audience and they're going to write you off? So be very careful. There's no reason to politicize anything. Uh, keep your statements in such a way that you don't, you don't jump into the politics of the day. Uh, that's not why we're there, right? The Bible has, it's, it says what it says about end time events and whether it's going to be this party in office or that party in office, these things are eventually going to take place, right? And they may surprise us in the way they do to some point. So there are things that you don't talk about. I wouldn't bring up these issues right away. Michael the Archangel. You bring up Michael the Archangel too quickly, you know what they're going to call us? What? If, they, if you start saying that Jesus is Michael, what are they going to call us? Jehovah's Witnesses, that's right. Even though we don't hold a position ex exactly like Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to call us a Jehovah's Witness, even though it's different. Tongues, well, you're going to lose your Pentecostal group, right? That could be a big section of your audience. 144,000, very controversial. Very controversial. So there's no need. It's not that I never mention those things, but often I do it personally in the home, right? One-on-one -on -one or something like that. Tongues I do as a Sabbath school uh, lecture. And I love to do that. I do it right down the end and I kind of really play it up and I use it to draw people to the church at the end of the seminar. What is evangelistic preaching? If you want to be prepared, come early and be ready. I, I trained with an evangelist that just, I don't know how else to say it, he was the most disorganized guy I'd ever seen. We start every night at 7.30. He would fly in the church door at 7.25. His Bible pages flying. His notes were all over the place. He'd have little sticky notes and he'd try to slap them here, slap them there, you know, he, you know, going back and forth, putting them where he wanted to read some text. It was crazy. And then all of a sudden, 7.30, and he would run up to the front because, you know, it was time to be introduced. He did that night after night. And I said to myself, Lord, whatever I do, help me not be like that. Because that's not me. I like to get there an hour and a half early. I want to get my projector set up. I get my computer set up. I get the chairs. I want to make sure everything's in place. Do I got the greeters ready? Is the screen everything? Got my notes ready? Yes, yes, yes. Any handouts? Yep, got it all. Now what about me? I go in the back room. I pray. I read it through again. Got it. And then I'm ready to go out and shake hands. I'm ready. The meeting's ready. The projector's ready. Everything is ready, and it puts you at ease. Remember, anxiety decreases as preparation increases, right? So you want to be ready. Get there early and be prepared to preach. You need to try to be brief. Uh, you know one way to really turn off your audience is to go way too long. You, they'll, they'll forgive you if you go over time once. But if you do it two nights in a row and you're 20 minutes past when you said you'd let them go, you're really jeopardizing your audience. Uh, there's no need to do that. People often ask me how long to go. Yes, brother. Is that what you're going to ask? Okay. Well... It's one of those situations where you say, do as I say and not as I do, but, but anyway, no, I'm getting better and better. I start at 7 o'clock now. I like 7 o'clock. I used to start at 7.30, then I went to 7.15, now I'm at 7 o'clock. Why? Because, because of the culture, because of the time, people want to get home, they've got kids. It's, it's different getting out at 8.30 than it is getting out at 8.45 or even 9 o'clock. So I like to get them out at 8.20, more and more. If I got a Mark of the Beast message or the 2300 days, it's going to go to 8.30, especially if you have an appeal. Right. But generally, I like to try to get out. I'm, I'm doing something now that I learned from Stephen's church with Bill. I learned that from Bill. 
be as brief as possible with your introductions. In other words, I used to have a theme song and then I went quite lengthy with question and answers and I had another announcement and let's have a gift book giveaway and let's have a drawing for this. I cut that out. I, I, I didn't cut out all question and answers. I still love to do that, but I don't have a quiz or anything like that. We have a welcome. Then we have an opening prayer. I do a little brief question and answer, just a few, three, four, don't go too long, special music, into the message. And I'm finding it works a lot better, a lot better. So, in that way I get out earlier and I can go an hour on the message. I can go an hour on the message that way and I can still get them out at 8.20 sometimes, most nights. Okay, be brief. Generally, your preaching is more effective if you can say what you're trying to say with fewer words. You know, they say what a person lacks in depth, they try to make up in length. Have you seen that sometimes? You know, the sermon isn't really going anywhere doesn't really have a lot of substance to it, so it just goes on and on and on, right? So you want to make sure you don't do that. Now, what are segues? Segues are transitional points, and these can actually be fun to do. When you're trying to transition from one point in your message to the next point in your message, think it through. How are you going to get from A to B and B to C? Well, usually what speakers do, the most common one, is to raise a question. You raise a question, then you answer your own question. So you say, okay, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we've read how the Lord himself will come, you know, from the clouds and with the glory and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Well, where are the dead? Well, let's turn to John chapter 5 and we'll answer that question. So usually you transition through question and then answering your question. But there are other ways to do that. Uh, you can talk about how you're going to add evidence upon evidence, line upon line. You can transition that way. But you can think of interesting ways to go from point to point so it's not disjointed. You want the people to follow you in their thinking as you're going through the message. You've got to aim for good, natural-sounding segues. Make smooth, uninterrupted transitions from one point or topic to another point. Okay? Next point. Where are they? Where is your audience? You want to be sure that you understand what they're going through. Now, the only way to do that is to get out there and mingle among them know who you've got in that audience, what, what things they're going through in their life, what, what are they struggling with. <clears throat> oh, by the way, when we're talking about segues, I want to mention one thing here, because it's really, really common. Most speakers have their favorite fill-in words. Do you know what I mean when I say a fill-in word? Ah, uh, um, you know, we all have our favorites. Mine was now. I said it all the time. I didn't realize I was saying it. I was driving home one night and my wife said, do you know how many times you said now tonight? I said, did I say now? She said, yeah, about 50 times. Really? You don't realize it. If you don't know what it is, ask your spouse. You know, those of you who are married or something, they'll tell you what it is. But, but it, it's so annoying to your audience. And if you, if you pause every time with an um, um, uh, um, you know, you know. It's very annoying. It doesn't sound professional. You can get rid of it. Just like when I transitioned out of my old phase to being a Christian, I had to drop some of those curse words, you know, you know. <laughs> I had to drop those. And I hung out with a crowd. I wasn't a big cursor, but I hung up with a crowd that was such into cursing that it became part of my thinking. And after a while, I had to be very careful 
and I tried to make myself very aware if I said a word that was inappropriate. And now, of course, my mind doesn't even go there. It's not it's so much after 25, 30 years, it's not even a part of my thinking. But those fill-in words, if you need to pause, just pause. Just pause. Sometimes you can use pause for effect, right? And don't say anything. And pretty soon you can, you can get those words, you can just get them out of that vocabulary and get out of the habit of saying, um, 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 um. It's very difficult. Do you remember that Carolyn Kennedy interview? Any of you who listened to the news? How Carolyn Kennedy, the daughter of John F. Kennedy, was being interviewed for that Senate position in New York. And she was a high candidate. They, she, they, she was a shoe-in. She was the front runner. And then they had that, I think it was December of 2008, which was exactly a year ago. And they gave her an interview I don't know if it was CNN, but anyway, they gave her a network interview. They gave her an interview, and she said 46 you knows in five-minute interview. 46 times she said, you know, you know, you know. And it made her appear so bad that basically it destroyed her. She dropped out. Yeah, she dropped out immediately after. She, she knew she was done. They, they just ridiculed her in the news. So people pay attention to those things. And it does make a difference. So what? It, yes. Before you go past that, um, maybe you talk a little bit more about being comfortable in silence. Because silence is uncomfortable, and we need to hmm. be comfortable in the silence. And then also, uh, with the arms and things, replacing it with something that you're getting feedback from people. Right. And you need to be careful. Of course, the most common thing that a speaker does is usually ask for an amen. But that's not the only thing that you can ask for. You can say, do you understand? Is it clear? It, it, and you get a yes, or I agree, or that's all right, or something like that. Don't just ask for an amen. I, had the, I learned that by having a blind man in my audience early on. Now, you, a blind man, what, his hearing is heightened, right? And so he's listening to every little thing. And he, came, he happened to be a friend, and he came up to me and he said, Brian, he said, uh, it was good, but you said amen, or you're asking for amen, way too many times. I said, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was just doing what I thought others do. And I learned that you don't have to. There's other ways of getting response or getting agreement other than asking for an amen. Now, it's the most common, and people understand what it means, but it's not the only thing that you can say to get response from your audience. Okay, try to imagine that you're reaching others Think where they are. We got about five minutes, and relate to them where they are. Okay. Now here's one that I really want to bring toward you. Be yourself. When you are wanting to hold a meeting, you're just starting. Even maybe you've been in it for a while. It's sort of human nature to want to mimic or emulate someone else who's successful. And often they start to try to be someone that they're not. God has gifted us to be the individuals we are, and he's given you gifts to be that individual. And it doesn't mean that you can't improve who you are, but it also means that you don't have to try to be someone else. Do you agree? Okay. So a very common thing is someone who wants to be an evangelist, and they start speaking real fast. Because they think all, of, all evangelists speak fast, don't they? So I'm just going to speak really, 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 really fast, and I'll be like certain evangelists. Well, I tried to do that. My first evangelic meeting, I got up and I was in a country group of people, you know, and I started speaking you know, like 100 miles an hour because I thought, well, that's what you have to do to pure, be authoritative. Just talk real fast. 
And they come up to me and they said, whoa. They said, the elders were coming up to me afterward and they say, Pastor, they said, you know, you got good material and we like sort of what you're saying, but you're on thought four and we're still back on number one. You know, they said, you've got to slow it way down. Well, it took me about four or five nights to finally do that. But I thought, well, that's what you do, right? Don't ever think you have to do something simply because you saw somebody else do it. Be yourself. Again, be open to improvement. If you're a little slow, speed up. If you're way too fast, slow down. Um, if you're kind of frumpy in your appearance, tidy up a bit. You can be better, but not necessarily try to be somebody else, okay? Learn from others. But don't mimic anybody, because it doesn't come across well. Prophets and Kings, it says, It is not always the most learned presentation of God's truth that convicts and converts the soul, not by eloquence or logic, I might insert in there, or PowerPoint, are men's hearts reached, but by the sweet influences of the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with that? That's where it really comes down. Which operate quietly, let surely, and transforming and developing character. It is the still, small voice of the Spirit of God that has power to change the heart. I would love to open it up for all your questions. Well, we got two minutes. Do you have two minutes? Where, what time we got? We, we, we're out of time. We're, we're out of time. Okay. <laughs> I need to set my watch a couple minutes. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow, I hope to have a question answer period where if you're into evangelism and you want to talk about anything or ask questions, I know Jeff over here, he's got a whole page of questions. He can't wait to ask me. Okay. So, we hope to get that done. Yes? I, I, don't, I don't speak so much evangelism, but I do a lot of revivals. Sure. Same principles. Many of the same principles. Sure. Uh, whether you want to talk about advertising or you want to talk about something, you know, visitation, whatever it is, I'm, I've, I may not have the exact answer, but I'll tell you what, I'll sure try. Give me a shot. We'll, we'll try to pick this up tomorrow. Let's, uh, let's close with prayer. 10.45 to 11.45 will be the Q&A session. Okay. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the blessing that it has been, uh, learning how to be better evangelistic preachers. And Lord, I pray that we would internalize all the things that you have given to us today, and that by your grace we would be better preachers, so that you will come home, come in to take us home that much sooner. Bless us now as we go to our next uh, session. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. We we'll hope to see you tomorrow. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.